And in the Gospel of John chapter 14, it's the last two verses, verses 30 and 31. Now, if you um, are a person who likes Scripture backup and references, this is a message for you. We have a lot of proof texts. We're going to hop around a lot, but we're going to come right back to these two verses, especially verse 30. So here is John 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that your message come across. Get me out of the way and put you in it. That you would stand here and speak to our hearts and our lives the truths we need to hear and those we've been waiting for. That you might rise up in us and establish us in you. I pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite Western movies is called North to Alaska. It's not one of them shoot 'em up horse riding gun movies. It's about John Wayne and his uh, partner going to uh, establish a, a gold rush claim on a piece of property and establish their life there. And uh, during that Alaska gold rush, what happened is people would go up there and the land was nobody's. Basically, it was just... Uh, desolate land. And so if you put a stake down or a pile of rocks or anything like that, put a, a, a home or a, a dwelling on it, anything to put something on the ground, it was yours. It was called staking a claim. Now, maybe, I think the battery's going out. Um, staking a claim. No, it's good. Um, and that staking a claim was ownership. And so if you had ownership of that piece of land, that was yours. And you would walk out your boundaries of your land and then you would say, this is mine. Then you would go and register that piece of land. Well, so it is in our lives with God. Unfortunately, sometimes the wrong kind of claim is staked in us. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to know, Jesus has staked the claim in you. And the reason He staked the claim in you is because so did the devil. You may have heard the phrase, the devil made me do it. You ever heard that? The devil made me do it. A lot of people blame the devil. In the 70s, that was popularized by somebody by the name of Geraldine Jones. If you ever saw the Flip Wilson show, she was always getting up there. He dressed as she. Probably wouldn't get away with that today. But would uh, say, the devil made me do it. And that popularized that phrase that was already being used. But I, I want you to know, the devil didn't make too many people do anything at all. Not really. They had their own way about themselves and they acted according to their own nature. The devil didn't need to do anything about it. But people are always looking for somebody or something or some situation to blame rather than taking responsibility for what they're doing. I think they do this because it means they can do whatever they want without supposedly having consequences. But is that true? Can we do anything and have no consequences, even if it's immoral or ungodly behavior? Now, what if I told you that if you blame others or situations on your actions and limitations, you have limited your transformability by God and your healing? What if I told you that? 
that if you don't own what you do, you can't get it changed and healed. Now I want us to look at this text today. This is a really good text. In verse 30, he says, The ruler of this world is coming. That phrase is better translated as he's going to make an appearance. Not he's not been here before, but he's going to make another appearance on earth. And he does this. He's talking about, of course, Satan. And he makes this appearance at the cross. And possibly in the garden when Judas betrays him. But definitely at the cross when Jesus gives up his life. Now the ruler of this world is coming, but in chapter 12, he talks about this and he's just referring back to something he said a while earlier where he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. There it is. The ruler of this world will be cast out. He's already here. He's not coming like he's going to come. He's making an appearance is what Jesus says about the cross. And he says in verse 32, And I, if I'm lifted up, which means on the cross, then I'll draw all people to myself. So the ruler's coming is established and he wants to cast him out. Let me ask you this. How would you like the ruler of this world cast out of your life? Wouldn't that be nice? Out of your affairs, out of your mind, out of your finances, out of your families, out of our communities, out of the schools. Wouldn't you like that? We a different world, wouldn't it? Well, here's what happens when he says the ruler is coming or making an appearance. He's going to come and he's going to take a stab at Jesus Christ with the stab of death on the cross. But his work isn't going to be successful. From his standpoint, at least from our standpoint too, and here's why. Because Jesus says, He has nothing on me. Now, I don't know if you know what He means by that, but let me tell you what that means. There's no sin in Jesus that the devil can hold Him down with. Jesus lived a sin-free life. And so, Satan trying to say, the death is going to take you because of sin. And Jesus says, i got no sin. You can't mess with me. Tell you what, if we lived a sin-free life, the devil couldn't mess with us either. He can't. He doesn't have a claim. But, unfortunately, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all under condemnation of sin. And the devil has a claim. We talked about his peace in a few verses back in verse 27. He says, I give you my peace. His peace comes that no part of him can be claimed by Satan. That he really belongs to God the Father and nothing else in this world can touch that. There's no thought of, have I messed this up? Am I wrong? Have I failed? None of that's there. Death has no hold. And in 1 Corinthians 15.56, we see why Jesus isn't afraid to go to the cross. Because the sting of death is sin. You see, it says, all who are under sin must die. We must pay the penalty of sin. And if we must pay the penalty of sin, that's death. But Jesus doesn't have sin. And so He's not afraid to die because death can't hold Him. And who holds death at this point? The key to death. 
the ruler of this world. At this point in history, the devil has the keys to death. But the only way he can hold someone in death is by having that control because sin has kept them in bondage to him. But Jesus doesn't have that. So if you don't have a bondage to the ruler of this world and you're only connected to the Heavenly Father, wouldn't you say that would give you peace in your heart? Wouldn't you say there's no peace when you don't have that knowing? Because, well, I've I've done wrong in my life and therefore we carry this load of guilt and shame around and we say, God, I got guilt and shame. And so with all this, I'm not sure 100% that I belong to you because I've done bad. I feel guilty. I have done those things. And the devil didn't make me do it. (laughs) And so how do we reconcile that? But Jesus knows, and His peace comes from knowing that God will pull Him, Jesus, from death into eternity with Him. That there's nothing that can stop the Father from doing that because Satan has no claim. That's the kind of way you'd want to go into death, wouldn't you? Knowing that the devil has no claim on you. That he can't hold you there captive for eternity. That would be a peace, wouldn't it? And the reason Jesus knows this and you can know this is because your sin is gone and His wasn't ever there. There's no claim. That's good news. And that's what verse 30 talks about. But in verse 31, He says the command that I do what my Father says and the command is to die and go to the cross. To be obedient to that Word. That He must die. And it's an act of love for the Father, to the Father, and of the Father by Jesus. Going to the cross is an obedient act. And Jesus knows that if He's obedient to the cross, there's still no sin. But any act of disobedience... And he would be rebelling against his father, which would be sin. So he goes willingly because he loves his father more than he loves his own life. Now let me tell you how this applies to us. Satan drove a claim stake on you when you first sinned. Did you know that? He he may not have been a stab like driving in with a hammer. But He owns you when that happens. And in Romans 6.23, what it says is the wages of sin is death. And who owns death? Until Jesus takes the keys of sin and death away from Him? The ruler of this world. And so if you sin, death belongs to you and He has a claim on you because of that sin. And the wages of that sin is death. And it doesn't mean, oh, I get to die and come back to life again eternally. What it means is, I'm under Satan's rule because I have sinned. Now, Satan's bent on destroying you. Make no bones about it. It's a fact. He wants you destroyed and permanently so. Or he wants to make you ineffective for God by convincing you that you're not worthy of grace or forgiveness because you have sinned. He's right. Your sin keeps you away from God. He doesn't want you to know the rest of the story. He just wants you to know that. That you're not worthy. He made His first appearance in your life when you sinned. Remember Jesus said, Satan's going to make an appearance. 
He makes an appearance when you first sin. He doesn't need to make another appearance in your life once He's got you. He doesn't have to. You can blame Him for all the stuff you did wrong, but that was yours after He entered into your life and claimed you by sin. It set in motion in you a death sentence. Maybe not immediate death, but spiritually you're condemned because of sin. And He wants you to keep blaming Him and other people and situations for your choices and your situation so that you believe that you're in trouble or in bondage to everything around you and you have no choice but to be there. Let me tell you something. When He puts a claim on you, Scripture tells us that you're under a spirit of bondage. A spirit of bondage. That is not a good place to be. Now, maybe you don't understand what a spirit of bondage is, but it's not something that's in you. It's something that's on you. Meaning, it surrounds you, and everywhere you go, it feels like you can't make headway because you're in bondage to the choices and the beliefs that you have, and the bondage says you're stuck. He wants you, the enemy wants you to see yourself as powerless to change and incapable of being more than you were led to believe. After his initial appearance, like I said, he doesn't need to come again and reclaim what's already his. This is bondage to sin and death, and he's got you. This is a fact for every human being. This happens. He makes an appearance. And we are under his rule, the ruler of this world, which we're born into and we are a part of. Now, in Titus chapter three, he talks about this. And when he. Paul does, that is. And when he talks about it, he, he's real clear about what's going on in us. And I really love how he says this beginning in verse 4 in chapter 3. He says, When the kindness and love of our God, of our Savior toward man appeared, not by any works of righteousness we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. When we were under bondage, we needed saved. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing, listen how he's doing this, the washing of regeneration and renewing bringing forth the Holy Spirit into us, not just on us, but into us, so we can be cleansed of the sin and the sin nature. And He poured out the Holy Spirit on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. When does He do that? He does this at the moment you believe and become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the moment it happens. It doesn't happen because you want it to. You actually have to follow Jesus. Not just say, I believe, but I follow. I'm learning to be a disciple and one day an ambassador for His kingdom when you first come to Him. You're in training, learning how to be a part of His family. Since we have no righteousness of our own, the appearance of the devil when he first made it is destructive to us. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When Satan made a claim, we're destroyed. The only thing that can redeem us 
is something that is in us. The devil won't save us. He can't. He's got no power to heal you or restore you. And he doesn't want to. He wants you stuck. And unfortunately, we keep agreeing with the devil. He convinces you that he has a claim. And Jesus doesn't. Maybe you don't know what that looks like, but it's the bondage and strongholds in your life that you've been freed from when you come to Jesus. And you keep fighting against this when you agree with the wrong thing. Here's what bondage and strongholds look like. And maybe you felt some of these. Have you ever felt like the promise God made of power, strength, overcoming, sin-free, blasted strongholds and no fear of death were not actually attainable for you? You tried and you couldn't make it happen. You still had that stuff hanging around. Maybe you have upheaval in your life or an anger issue that won't go away or depression or fear. Do you understand these things keep us in bondage? Shame, guilt, strong relationships that aren't there, that should be. And God has promised us a witness, a hope, a loving heart, And peace and joy. But the enemy keeps telling you, you can't have that. Because you don't know anything about it. It's not for you. And you'll never be a part of God. The ruler of this world stole the promises and blessings of God away from you when he laid a claim on you. And you're under the spirit of bondage. You cannot claim those things. The power of God in your life. The healing restoration of Jesus Christ. His mercy, His grace. You don't have a claim. You're not owned by God. Satan has laid a claim on you and says, you're mine. He stole those things away from you. And if you do experience some hope or joy or peace, you realize they're just there for a moment and they get stolen away all the time. I have a great idea, God, and I'm full of fire up and I'm excited about you. And the next day you go, gosh, what was I excited about? I forgot. You ever been there? It's frustrating because all these things are fears and torments. They're the claims of Satan on us because of sin. And we remain convinced that those things are ours to deal with. That they're going to remain. This is the convincing and the agreement of bondage. But what if I told you Jesus busted up those roadblocks and I can prove it to you? What if I told you that? That you don't have to deal with the fear of God not being able to bless you or the fear that you're going to stay stuck in the same mindset, emotional mentality without any way out until the day you die. What if I told you Jesus changed all that? And I can show you how. Would that be worth it to know it? Amen. What if He staked a new claim on you? What if the old claim no longer existed? What if the one that when you first sinned, which has covered your life until Christ puts a new claim on you, could all be wiped away in an instant? Would that change anything for you? This is a tipping point of salvation. When the spirit of bondage is gone. But let me tell you something. 
You might go, yeah, I really want that, but I, I, I don't know if I can have it. I've tried, I've tried, and all this other thing. I mean, I was in high school, I was in college, and I kept trying to get saved and get saved and get saved. And I kept thinking, I'm just missing something. I don't know what it is. And my heart would get hard. And every moment I'd get ready to repent, something would come in a way. Something. Whatever it was. It's because Satan makes an appearance when you're ready to repent. That's his next appearance in your life. When he knows Jesus is about to stake a claim. He makes in his appearance when the kingdom of God is getting ready to move in your life or in this world. That's when he makes his next appearance in your life. He comes back to tell you that you don't have what Christ says you have. Would you put that phrase on the screen? I want us to say this. This is what he says to us on the screen. Let's say that together. Here's what Satan whispers in our ears when we're ready to repent. You are who he says you are. And you don't have what he says is yours. This is what Satan whispers in our ears. The moment we hear about the good news of salvation. Well, you don't. that's not really for you. That's everybody else. That was mine. That's what he told me. Or maybe tells you, um, you may think that you belong to God, but you don't really. You didn't do it right. Or you're just not worthy for him to heal you and restore you. And you don't have these blessings because... You wasted them. He's going to disguise this in a whole bunch of different ways. And it is terribly heartbreaking. And without Christ, without the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, this is your truth. That you don't have what Jesus says you have and you are not who He says you are. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, This is your reality. That you don't have any blessing of God or eternity or hope. Even scripture says without God, without hope in this world, we were until the blood of Jesus Christ came. It says that in our scriptures. But Jesus broke through death. On the cross to make a new claim on you. He changed the narrative without changing the words. Let's read it again. This is Jesus talking about Satan. What's he say? You aren't who he says you are and you don't have what he says is yours. Listen, Satan says. Here's what Jesus says. Excuse me. He says, Satan tells you that you're no longer worthy, unable. You don't belong to him. But you're not that. And he's trying to tell you that you have death and sin and misery and bondage and no hope. That's what Satan says. But Jesus says, you don't have that. You don't have what Satan says is yours. You don't have that when you belong to Jesus Christ. When you belong to Jesus Christ, it's the same sentence. But the truth of it is changed. He flip-flops the narrative. Satan tells you the truth about life with him. Jesus tells you life truth of life with him. You have what Jesus says you have. And you are who he says you are when you're redeemed. This is a fact. Now you're not under bondage, but under the spirit of adoption. I want you to hear Romans 8.15. This is what talks about it. This is fantastic verse. Life transforming. 
Go ahead and put that up for us, Glenn. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now listen to it in the uh, Amplified Version. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship, and the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father, Father. Now listen. Satan's claim has you under a spirit of bondage. When Jesus Christ claims you, he says Satan is no longer your father. He wasn't a good parent anyway. And he takes us into the high courts of heaven because of his work on the cross. And he says, Father in heaven, this one has been under the bondage of fear, of sin and death. And all these things that are plaguing them and fearful in their mind have been plaguing them their whole life since they first sinned in this world. And they can't get out from under it. But I paid the price for the sin that holds them captive. So He unlocks that spirit that's on us and pulls it away and puts a spirit of adoption in. In. Not on. In. So that it's inside you. And whenever the, uh, the ruler of this world or Satan comes along and says, you don't have what he says you have. You say, listen, you're not on me anymore. He broke that off. I have the truth in me. And what you say about me is not true. What you say I have is my history is not my future. My future is what Jesus Christ said. And I belong to him. I belong to him because I've been adopted. I cannot make somebody adopt me. And adoption is a choice by the one who adopts you. You can't go, hey, please adopt me. God says, I choose to adopt you while you were in sin and break that bondage off you with a new spirit. And that new spirit puts a claim in you, not on you. It's a spirit of freedom. And how does that happen? In 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells us how this happens. Begin at verse 18 and verse 19. He says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold, and not from what you tried to do with your conduct, trying to redeem yourself, make yourself holy, make yourself have a better life, that you received by tradition... Go to church, pray, you'll be redeemed. It just doesn't work. You can't adopt yourself into the kingdom of God by what you do. Verse 19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. If you don't have blood-bought life transformation in your life, Satan's claim remains. But there's no condemnation. According to Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no charge of death or sin on you in Christ Jesus. Satan says, they sinned. And Jesus says, I don't see it. In Hebrews it says he removes it as far as the east... <laughs> 
is from the west. I had to think the direction I was facing. He removes it and he says this, their sin and their iniquity, this is God, I will remember no more. And so when Satan says, look at this sin, who's remembering it but us? Satan and us. God says, I don't see it. I don't remember that. It's gone. And so we have, have to learn how to let go of the bondage to think that we're still under the sin that the enemy says we have. Because he says, you're not who he says he is. You are. And you don't have what he says is yours. And so we have to break that off. And that's what Jesus is doing at the cross. Is breaking that bondage. And putting a spirit of adoption on us. And how do you do that? And Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew. That he's a stumbling block. He's a chief cornerstone. A stumbling block. A rock of offense if you will. He says... Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, not of ourselves. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing their fruits of it. Listen to verse 44. And whoever falls on this stone, the stone is Jesus Christ, will be broken. Will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it's going to grind them to powder. Now, when you read broken there, it sounds like, I don't want to be broken. Where it isn't broken like destroyed. It's talking about your insane, unhealthy, stubborn will that clings to the false ideas of who you are. That when you fall on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone becomes your foundation and not what you had. It breaks off of you. What doesn't fit with him. If you fall onto Jesus Christ. And lean into him. And let him transform you. He breaks off of you. The bondage. And the mentality. And the thoughts. And all that. That tells you. That you aren't his. That you don't belong. That you fall on him. If you will. I like to picture it like this. He's standing here like this. With his arms open, and you just kind of lean back into his arms, and he catches you. And he says, now, while you're here, I'm going to let you know you're mine. I'm going to hold you close to me. I'm going to wrap you in my warm hug, if you will. I'm going to give you my arms of comfort and peace. And everything that you feared about our relationship is going to melt away. It's going to break off. You're going to be broken like that. So that all you have is peace with him. In that relationship. We need broken like that. We do. The question is. Are you willing to fall on him today? This is a key question. That we must answer. Today. And here's the good news. When I saw this truth. That Satan's ready to make an appearance. The moment you're ready to fall on him. It's because he doesn't want you to do that. He's going to tell you he's not going to catch you, that he doesn't want you, that you're not worthy, that it's not going to work. But he's lying to you. 
And the only reason you know that is because he's made an appearance and told you these things. Otherwise, he wouldn't make an appearance if kingdom of God wasn't ready to move. Hear this verse in John 14 again. The ruler of this world is ready to make an appearance. And in Jesus Christ, he's got nothing on you. He's got no claim on you. He can't hold you back. He can't hold you down. And Jesus Christ has come to set you free from anything inside of you that says that you are held back. I read in our call to worship out of Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. That's how we started this service. He's redeemed you from the hand of the enemy. That's what he's talking about. Now I have a phrase for you, if you're ready for it, on how the redeemed say so. It's right there on the screen. I am who he says I am. And I have what he says I have. No other voice will I listen to. You need to say that with me. If you're redeemed, you need to say so with this. I am who he says I am. And I have what he says I have. No other voice will I listen to. This is what the redeemed say. That there's only one authority in my life and nothing else. No other voice has permission to speak to me has any authority or claim on me because I'm free by the blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God's in me and I can claim for free all the grace that He has and the promise He has for me that I kept being told weren't accessible. With Christ, the wall has been broken down and you have access directly to the throne of God. You can go in and find mercy and grace and help in time of need, comfort in time of sorrow, provision in time of loss and brokenness. All is yours. Nobody can hold you back from that. Except you agree that you can't have it. And that's not true anymore. This is the gospel Jesus is saying that Satan's ready to make an appearance and I, at the cross, am going to let him So he thinks he's winning, but that's how the kingdom comes. And it's at the cross where redemption began. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, there's so many competing voices in our mind. And yet the only one that we need to listen to is to say, you are mine. All that I have is yours. It's my pleasure. It's my great joy to give you my kingdom. I want you to have it. And you are mine. No matter what you feel or think, you are mine. And so, Lord, I ask this morning, if there's anyone who hasn't found that peace, then knowing this is true of them, then right now, that spirit of adoption would break off the spirit of bondage and redemption would draw nigh now. I pray this, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory, honor, and dominion now and forever. Amen. As our musicians come forward, I, I want to challenge you this morning to understand that Life is going to tell you certain things are not true and the enemy is going to try and take this word from you. 
The enemy's going to try and tell you this isn't true. That you can't have any of this. That it, you've tried and tried and tried. What's any different this time? Well, I want to tell you something. He does that because he knows God is here. He tells you those things because God is who He said He is. And Jesus Christ came to do and did what He came to do. And He wants to complete the work He began in you and for you. And the enemy is going to tell you, you can't have that. But he forgets the rest of the story because he doesn't want you to know that. Because the rest of the story is you can't until you belong to Christ and then you got it all. He only tells you half-truths. And that's a whole lie. So don't believe any of it anymore. And be redeemed. As we stand to sing, if you need to get some business straight with God, I'll pray with you. You can pray where you are. But by all means, let it happen. Oh, my God.